Oh, good morning. It is great to be opening up God's word with you this morning. Uh, Today, we're looking at a chunk of scripture that kind of gets sandwiched between two really famous passages. Um, We get Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus on one side where we find this incredible verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then on the other side of it, we get an amazing story as Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at the well. And uh, the wonderful Ian Galloway is going to be opening up that bit of scripture for us next week, um, which I'm really excited by. But in today's passage, we get another encounter with John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist began to speak, he was somewhat of a phenomenon on the preaching circuit. There hadn't been anyone like him for generations. So people flocked to hear what he had to say. And you can listen back to that talk on catch up, but in essence, John's message was, I'm not really anything that special, but Jesus is glorious. And I'm here to point people to him. So with that in mind, we are going to open up our passage and look at what we can learn from John as we maybe some of us seek to explore, to encounter Jesus for ourselves, Um, perhaps as we're wondering how we can um, become more effective in sharing this good news with others. So I'm going to pray for us and then we are going to dive in. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy and for your grace. We thank you for the way that you've been moving amongst us this morning. Lord, we thank you that you call us to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly before you. We help us to grow in that this morning. We pray, Spirit, we fill us afresh as we listen out for what it it is that you want to speak into each one of us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of scripture. We thank you that John says his gospel is written, that we might believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we would have life in your name. And Lord, we pray that that will be truth to us this morning. We thank you for the gift of scripture. Help it bring us to life, we pray this morning. Father, what is just of me, um, will you get rid of, but what is of you, will you plant deep in our hearts and help to grow into something beautiful for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to be reading to you from John chapter 3, verses 22 to 36, and I'll read to you from the New International Version. It's going to pop up on the screen behind me as we go. John testifies again about Jesus. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now John was also baptising at Enon near Salim, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptised. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah 
but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him, on them. It's quite a passage, isn't it? And we discover just after this one, at the start of chapter 4 in verse 2, it's actually Jesus' disciples who were doing the baptizing. And John's disciples are jealous. Verse 36 tells us Jesus' disciples are baptizing more people than us. They've stolen our gig. And it's so human, isn't it? Wanting to be the best, wanting to be ahead of our rivals, maybe to have the best stories to share. And there's sometimes a tendency in the church for that kind of jealousy too, wanting the glory or the credit to fall on us. Perhaps jealousy of those that we perceive as being more gifted than us. And it's that kind of jealousy that it seems like John's disciples are just really struggling with. Were they expecting John to be jealous too or disappointed now that Jesus is the centre of attention Or perhaps for him to come up with some kind of plan to lure them back and increase their own baptism numbers. But John the Baptist is an incredible witness to us. He's done such an incredible job of pointing others to Jesus. It feels like he's pretty much made himself redundant. And his response is basically threefold. Don't be jealous. Know your limitations and give the glory to Jesus. That's what kept coming back in our worship this morning, isn't it? Jesus is the one that's worthy of all honour and praise. He says, don't be jealous, because in your jealousy, you are objecting to the absolute core of John the Baptist's ministry. They've said in verse 26, you know, everyone's going to him. And you get the impression John's like, that is exactly the point. That's the point of all my ministry. I want everybody to flock to Jesus. That's what I've come to do. And he says, know your limitations, or perhaps better, know who you are as well as who you're not. Verse 28 says, you yourselves can testify. I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. I'm not the Messiah, but he has given me a role. John the Baptist knows he he doesn't have all the answers, but he can point to the one who does. And essentially, I think this is often where we go wrong, trying to draw people to Jesus by trying to draw them to ourselves. And we go wrong in in one of two ways. Either we don't share the gospel 
because we doubt our ability to make it sound attractive enough or to be attractive enough to that other person to draw them in. Or we go to the other end of the scale and we place so much pressure on ourselves to be exactly what that person needs to have all of the answers and to have it all wrapped up in this um, perfect little package that will make the other person desperately want what we have to be, in effect, more like us. When actually our focus needs to be on pointing them to Jesus and hungering after them starting to look more like him. John says in this passage, I am not the Messiah. I told you I'm not the Messiah. And we are not the Messiah either. If we're not careful, we can fall into the error in our community groups or our life groups or some of our friendships of thinking that actually maybe we're the ones that get to do the fixing or looking to other people to do the fixing when Jesus is the healer. We're not the ones that bring the transformation. That's the Holy Spirit's incredible work in us. You know, the prayers of the senior leadership team are not prioritized before any others, before the ears of the Lord. But the joyful thing is that we all stand as a royal priesthood, bringing our petitions to him, asking for him to come and to bring breakthrough. We don't have all the answers. We can't fix things by our own cleverness or our own giftedness. Instead, we must point people to Jesus. Because Jesus does have the power to bring breakthrough. Jesus does have the power to restore us. Jesus does have the power to redeem us. And wonderfully, when we are open to his leading, he often does use us in the process. John the Baptist's approach is an incredible example. He's pretty clear saying he's nothing special, but Jesus is glorious. And we know that there's a whole bunch of great stuff in John because God's put it there. And he's put it there for his glory. But in comparison to Jesus, it's nothing. And Paul gives us another great example um, in his second letter to the Corinthians when he says, we're not the treasure, we're the jars of clay, but we do have treasure to offer we're weak and we're breakable, but there is great power in us by the Spirit to give incredible witness to God's goodness and his glory and his mercy. However, to do that, we need to point away from ourselves and we need to be pointing towards Jesus. This has got heaps of implications for us as we step out into missional opportunities. That It's not about the shiny events, but it's about who we're pointing people to. We've been so excited to appoint into the missional social action roles. But that missional word at the start of it is so important. Yes, we want to be doing social action. We want to be meeting needs in our community. We want to be generous. We want to be compassionate. But that's missional work because we're pointing people to Jesus. Because as much as we might be a little bit generous, he is gloriously generous. He is lavish in his love for others. We're just a tiny, tiny reflection as he's growing and shaping us. And it might sound a little bit like I'm saying we're all rubbish. And of course, that's not what I mean. But we are deeply, wonderfully cherished by a heavenly father who's shaping us in all manner of incredible ways to love other people better and to bring himself glory. 
we have the potential to do some amazing good as he fills us and equips us and leads us. But we need to be sure that we're doing our role and letting him get on with doing his. We must remember what our role is. John knows that. That's why he's so confident in the way that he speaks to his followers. He's certain of his place before God. He doesn't need the applause of man. To be honest, it sounds like if he knew, he knew that if they were busy going on about, oh, you know, John, you're doing such a brilliant job, that their eyes would be taken off Jesus and put onto him, and he doesn't want that. It's pretty much the definition of spiritual maturity. And when we start thinking less about what others might think of us and how impressive or unimpressive we might appear to them, and more about Jesus, and more about how much we hope that people will respond to him. That's when we get joyful in sharing his good news, that he has transformed our lives, and we will start pointing more accurately to the one behind it all, and the glory will go to him. Let's understand who we are and who he is. And John really neatly summarises this with an illustration about a bridegroom and his best man. And John says, I'm not the groom, I am the best man. I've got absolutely no intention of trying to steal the bride at the last minute. He uses this image of a wedding and it's re-expressing his devotion to Jesus and his commitment to the task that he has been called to. He knows it's not his day. He doesn't need to be the centre of attention. And he is full of joy as others recognize Jesus and start to follow him themselves. And this illustration of marriage is important for another really key reason. Because in the Old Testament, God promised that he was going to be in a marriage kind of commitment to Israel. That it was going to be a loving covenant. Isaiah 62 verse 5 says, As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride so will your God rejoice over you. God's inviting his people to step into faithful covenant that is full of love and delight in one another. It's pretty incredible. Now, one tradition that I am pretty thankful that we have abandoned in our culture is a specific role that at that point was given to the bridegroom's friend. And his role um, was to stand outside the door whilst the marriage was being consummated and to listen out for the groom's voice, starting to declare the shema, you know, the deed has been done, we are now fully married. You know, people think morning after breakfast with your families is awkward, that's a whole other level. Um, But John kind of brings us back here and he says, the friend who attends to the bridegroom waits and listens for him is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy's mine, that joy's now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. In other words, this wonderful potential family created in loving commitment between our creator and his creation. He's up and it's running and it's exciting. We're expecting this family to grow. He must become greater, I must become less. John's joy is in fulfilling God's will for his life. Where are we finding our joy this morning? 
Are we like John discovering joy's deep foundation is in God himself? Because John's final point um, to his followers seems to be this, give the glory to Jesus. As a church family, we must never forget to praise God for his goodness. If the church is in a season of success and growth, it's not because of our cleverness, but it's because of his grace and his generosity as he is building his church. And the great thing is that we get to join in God's mission It's certainly not the other way around. We don't want to fall into the trap of getting on with loads of stuff and then asking God to bless it. We want to be listening out to, you know, where is it that you're working, God? How can we join in with what it is that you're doing? And that means we get to have the joy of coming along the ride and God gets all the glory. So in fixing our eyes on him again, let's return to the end of our passage. From verse 31, it says, The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. But no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has satisfied that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. Jesus is the King sent from above everything who comes from God. He speaks God's word and is filled with the spirit without limit. He's the one who will baptize God's people with the Holy Spirit. And not in a single one-off way, but in a way of life, given without limit, given with lavish love. Ian Galloway puts it this way, a never-ending, immeasurable flow of the Spirit of God into the people of God from the Son of God. To hear him is to hear God. It's this beautiful Trinity passage. He reveals the love of God and has the authority of God. He's far above the earthly voices that try to compete with Jesus and offer shallow fulfillment or the think positive and great things will happen to you type mantras. But who are we going to trust? Who are we going to go to for their advice? He alone is our creator, our sustainer, and our savior. Jesus' mission is crucial for human salvation. Jesus is the one from heaven that's come from the loving heart of God to the world to offer salvation to anyone who will believe in him. And receiving him brings eternal life in his kingdom. But rejecting him means that God's wrath continues to rest on us. And that means we won't know life in all of its fullness. In fact, we won't know life really at all. Rejecting Jesus doesn't incur God's wrath, but it does leave us under it. There's no other way that we get to be with God 
other than through faith in Jesus. And the wrath of God is a really hard notion to hold together sometimes with this picture of a loving God. But the Bible in general, and Jesus in particular, take God's wrath with awesome seriousness. Because his wrath is without sin and without error. But he is perfect love and yet perfect justice. Jack really helpfully talked us through that passage of scripture about Jesus in the temple. That God gets angry when people are abused and cut off from him by others. God's not passive about the presence of evil in his world. And if we as people get to express wrath in reaction to acts of injustice or extreme brutality, how much more is that felt by God whose love for the brutalized and for the oppressed is far greater than ours? Loving people get filled with wrath, not despite of love, but because of it. And God is love. And it would be easy to fixate here, but let's not miss what is on offer because we have such treasure in Jesus and it's an incredible treasure to be sharing with those that we love. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, it shows us this great bit of scripture saying, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus. It's his great mercy that has caused him to birth us into a new and living hope through Jesus' death and resurrection, and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for us, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation is revealed. Sometimes we can get tricked into thinking, oh, you know, God the Father is the kind of angry one and Jesus is the loving one and somehow they balance each other out. No, they are both loving. They are complete in their love for us. Jesus was always supposed to be the rescue plan for us because God doesn't want anybody to perish. And through faith in Jesus, we get to receive eternal life. That everyone and anyone who does believe and receive the word has the spirit lavishly poured out upon them when they ask for it. Let's come before Jesus, who is the chosen one that the Father loves, who gives us eternal life and saves us from wrath. And let's freely accept his offer to know him and be rescued by him. This comes to us as a generous gift, but it's also a gift that Jesus says we need to offer to others. Towards the end of his gospel, John chapter 20, verse 21 to 23, uh, Jesus says, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit equips us for mission. He comes and he fills us and he grows us and he transforms us and he gives us the ability to love others. And out of love, 
we declare the good news because it is good news for all of creation. We get to come and serve him joyfully. I found a great quote from Josh Moody. I'll just find it for you. He said, um, accepting that our purpose is to serve God is not to grovel in the dust before another human. It is to explore the stars with the maker of them. It is a wonderful thing to be in relationship with the creator of the universe. And on the one hand, we have no fear in death. We are promised that our fate is secure that we will be take, called back home to be with our Father for an eternity, in a place where there is no more pain, there are no more tears. We can face death with confidence. That's an incredible gift to us that so many of our friends and neighbours don't know, where there is fear over what might happen in death. But there is also incredible joy for us in life to partner with him in his mission to creation, to share his incredible love and faithfulness with those that we love, those that we meet. So I wonder who today might God be placing on your heart to share this good news with? Who might he be creating opportunities for you to step into to share of his goodness with the world. I'm going to just wrap up here, but I think you know, maybe for some of us, God is needing to speak some stuff about identity to us. Maybe there's been some jealousy that he just needs to bring his healing touch to. Maybe he needs just to reconvict us of what our role is. Maybe free us from the burden where we've put one on us, where we're trying to take some things that are actually his job. And he needs to free us to joyfully serve him in the things that he's called us to. Perhaps this morning, it's just that invitation again to come and find life in him. He promises us life in all of its fullness, life in abundance is found in him, full of his grace and his mercy and his peace. Maybe we need to accept that afresh for ourselves today. Or maybe it is that the Spirit is just starting to stir our heart for somebody to share that with as he keeps growing this family. I'm going to pray for us and I will hand over to Adam. Oh, Lord God, we thank you that you are good, that you are faithful, that you are above all that in love you came so that we might know life in all of its fullness, that we might know that we are freed, we are forgiven, we are washed clean, we are set up in a new life in your family, that we have a hope that is secure, that we can delight in you, that we can know that you delight in us, that you have power to bring breakthrough, that you have power to bring of what it is to be in the presence of the living, holy God, to bow before you in worship, joyfully giving you the honour that is yours. Lord, I pray you'd stir our hearts. I pray for those of us that need to just turn afresh and receive your life this morning. Or maybe even for the first time, Lord, would you give us confidence in coming before you, knowing that, you stand just outside the door and you're knocking 
You're waiting to see if we'll open that door and let you in and you promise that you will come in and you will meet with us, that you will eat with us, that you will share life with us. Lord, I pray that you'll convict our hearts with those that we can share your good news with, pointing to you, not letting any of those fears or anxieties about our giftedness get in the way, but trusting that you've got it all, that you will gift us with what we need to share your message of hope with those that we love. Lord, we come before you, we say, our hands are open. We want to be obedient to you. We want to adventure with you. We want to get stuck in in your mission. Will you put us to work? Will you equip us, Spirit? Come and fill us afresh. And then will you send us out into your world, ready to share your incredible love with those who so desperately need to hear it, trusting that you are faithful to run out and to meet them and to encounter them. Lord God, we love you. We pray your will will be done in our lives. Amen.